God is in our midst. We praise Him. We adore Him. And we now want to sit reverently, expectantly under His Word as His Word is preached. She was old and she was frail, but very, very friendly. And I asked her, will you please give me your perspective on prayer? And my new friend, as of last Tuesday, my 93-year-old friend Barbara began to talk. So Tuesday morning, I was out working, and one of the joys of my work is I get to meet a lot of people, and I get to meet a variety of people. And I went to this house thinking that I could help her with a need that she had in my business. And so I knocked on her door no answer. And I knocked again, which is customary of me, and I waited eight to ten seconds, still no answer. So I thought no one was home and I was leaving. And as I was leaving, I heard, I heard a, a friendly, jovial conversation that seemed to be coming from the backyard. And so as customary of me, I went back to invite myself into the party. And, um, and so I said, hello, and what I saw helped shape this morning's message. There was a table back there. It was an old table on a, on a slat, and there was an elderly woman, and then my new friend Barbara in her white rocking chair were there. And then someone off to the side that was working on the car that was enjoying the ladies' conversation about my age, he was there. And so I went around and I introduced myself and I said, what's your name? What's your... And may I have a seat? And they said, join the party, you know. So I sat down and I began to talk with this lady about why I was there from a business standpoint. And things started changing. And I began to hear her heart and I said, you sound like you are regenerate. You sound like you're born from above. You sound like you love Jesus. And she just, with a sweet twinkle in her eye, eyes that were dim because she was going blind, she said, oh, honey, I love him with all my heart. And I said, tell me about that. And she began to give me her testimony as she was in her white rocker rocking. And I said, you know something, Barbara? I absolutely love your chair. It's a, it's a beautiful, white, well-crafted rocking chair. And I just, I enjoy rocking chairs, perhaps because I'm a grandpa now. I don't know. I, I just enjoy rocking chairs. And I said, I commented on her chair, and she said, you can't have it until I die. And I said, so we're kind of playful at this time. And I just said, why not? And she said, because this is where I go every morning for prayer. And I said, Barbara tell me about morning prayer. Because at this time, I was beginning to meditate on Psalm 5 and beginning to talk about why morning prayer. That's the title of this morning's message. And my ear was, was keenly attuned to what she was about to say. And she said, when I can, because my body is failing, and when I can, because we live in Ohio and the weather stinks, 
when I can, I go out early in the morning and I sit in this chair so you can't have it until I die. And I said, Barbara, what, what, what do you pray? Why, why do you do this? And she said these words, I must pray every morning. And I said, tell me about must. And she looked at me like I was really strange. Like you guys are looking at me, right? Really strange. What do you mean must? Do you want me to? And she said, I have to pray in the morning. And I said, please tell me about having to, must. And she began to describe how God is irresistible. Every morning, I, I just cannot not get up and move out and sit in my rocking chair and just pray to Him. He is exquisite. He is glorious. He has grabbed my attention for 64 years. I must, every morning when I can, pray. And I said to Barbara, I said, so this must or have to, it's not like I have to take out the garbage every morning. Is it kind of like I have to kiss my wife? You know the difference? And she laughed. And she said, yes, it's like a kiss. This morning's message is we must pray in the morning. We must pray in the morning. I don't want you to hear must as if I have to do laundry. I have to do the grocery shopping. I have to clean up the kids' bedroom. It's a different kind of have to, isn't it? I must. We collectively must pray every morning knowing, here's motivation, here's the fuel, knowing that all that God is, He is for us. That's about as succinct as I can say the message that will take me about 30 minutes to unpack. We find this in Psalm chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, please open them. What I'm going to do is explain briefly the inner structure, the inner outline of this psalm and the flow of it in hopes that when I then say, now please stand with me in reverential joy and hope and trust as I read his word to us, you will then be able to see it better and you will move into it. It's only 12 verses. So are you there? This is coming out of your Bible. It's not on my forehead. So when I say look down or look in, if you don't have your Bible, we have um, gifts for you. They're white Bibles. Please take one, and it's yours. Psalm 5, it's titled, Why Morning Prayer? And Psalm 5 is divided into two sections. Verses 1 through 3 is a description of morning prayer. So when I say we must pray in the morning. I don't want you to be confused. I want you to have a definition. I want you to have some descriptions, a, a delineation, if you will, of this is morning prayer. Now, I know you can look all over the Bible and see different forms and different expressions of morning prayer, but out of this text, this psalm, Psalm 5, this is the description of morning prayer. So the description of morning prayer, verses 1 through 3, and then the Lovely logic that connects 4 through 12 is found in verse 4. Do you see the word 4? Now that is motivational. 
Why morning prayer, verses 1 through 3, verses 4 through 12. Now, as you look at verses 4 through 12, you will see bookends, brackets. Poets call them inclusios. You don't have to worry about that word. They are the top and the tail, the start and the stop of this, the essence of 4 through 12. So, verse 4 and verse 12 bracket all this incredible stuff that we see in verses 5 through 11. If you are accustomed to writing in your Bible, take out your pencil or pen right now and box the first two words in verse 4. It should read, for you. Does anyone not see that? Okay, so for you, verse 4. Now, fast forward and go into verse 12, and how does it start? So box it, for you. For you, for you. The characteristics or attributes of God are the bracket or the bookends of verses 5 through 11. You see that? And then 5 through 11, it's interesting. It, it, it oscillates or goes back and forth from those who truly love the Lord, love His name, find refuge in Him, what they experience of Him, or those who hate Him, those who oppose Him, those who don't believe that all that He is, He is for His people. And you will find that in there. And so it comes in four two-verse stanzas that alternate back and forth. So look at five and six, and you will see People who oppose the Lord and oppose King David and oppose God's people. Look briefly at who they are and how God views them, 5 and 6. Then you have that adversative. And now you go into 7 and 8. And now you've oscillated over to, these are the people who love your name, who find refuge in you, who have abundant loving kindness upon them, so on and so forth. And notice how, how they experience the Lord. Five and six, seven and eight, and now nine and ten. Go right back to people who oppose the Lord, oppose His people, and how God treats them. And then it ends in verses 11 and 12 of how those who take refuge in you rejoice and ever sing for joy and find favor upon Him, find rest and find that cover of favor. Do you see that movement? So we won't take much time going back and forth and back and forth. But if you want strong stimulus kind of motivation for morning prayer, take time to to meditate on that back and forth movement between the bookends. So that's Psalm 5. We must pray in the morning Knowing that all that God is, He is for us. Will you stand now as I read God's precious word to us? This is not merely a book. This is Scripture. And through Scripture, His voice is heard. I pray that it is. Psalm 5, we read, Give ear to my words, O God. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my my King and my God, for to you do I pray. 
O Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you. And watch, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For those, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your presence, your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable to you. I pray for unction. I pray for clarity. I pray for correctness. Allow no word that comes out of my mouth to be in error, and when it is, Stop up all the ears so it doesn't reach the heart. And may your voice so charm our hearts that we will, because we must pray every morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you heard the internal outline, this message will be organized into two sections, definition or description of morning prayer and then motivation for it. So we'll start with this definition of morning prayer. When I say we must pray in the morning, and the title is Why Morning Prayer, what I'm saying is verses 1 through 3. This is the description of morning prayer. This prayer in Psalm 5 verses 1 through 3 has four characteristics to it. It's passionate, it's urgent, it's personal, and it's expectant. So we're going to look at those very briefly. Four characteristics of morning prayer. Passionate. Urgent. Personal. And then expectant. Now where do I get those? Well, I get them out of the Bible. And it's Psalm 5 verses 1 through 3. First notice with me why we would say one of the characteristics of this kind of prayer is it's passionate. You look in verses 1 and 2, and you see three verbs or three imperatives or three 
God do this. Now, Garrison was talking up, up front this morning and leading us in lament and, and worship, and he called it bold prayer. This is a very bold prayer. It's not irreverent. David loves God with all his heart, but he is telling God to do something, not out of authority, not saying, you slave, come over here and do this. Hardly. But he so has an unshakable confidence in who God is for him that he's going to say something very direct. Do you see the three things that he says? He says, give ear. He says, give attention. He says, consider. Those three things. It's Hebrew poetry and, and parallelism. So the second piece is saying about the first piece just a little differently and for emphasis. He's, he's telling God to do something, and it's very direct. That's why I say it's, it's passionate. He's not mincing words. There's nothing blasé about this kind of prayer. He's not real casual, just kind of strolling into his presence and just saying, hey, I need, I want, please help. No, no, he's, he's got God, so to speak, right at the face and saying, look at me, give me your ear. To what? Now notice with me, he says, to my words. You see that in verse 1? Now notice, he takes that to my words, and now he's going to describe those words a little bit for us. He says, give attention to my words. What kind of words, David? What kind of words are we to use in our morning prayer? I think there are two types here. I think he describes them. He says, consider my groaning and then listen to my cry, the cry of my voice. So what I hear him saying here, I think this is accurate, is morning prayer always has words. Some are voiceless and some are voiced. Some are silent and some are loud. All these are our words. Some are inaudible. And some are audible. I get that from the word groaning. As you do a word search on that and you look at it carefully, it looks to me like it's something inner. These words are so deep in his soul, they're in the pleats of his, of his heart, and, and, and they don't reach his mouth and go audible. They're groanings. If you're reading NIV, it's translated <sighs> sighs, right? These, these words, they're real weird words, and they're shaping this emotion of, I'm groaning. I'm tired. I'm sighing. And morning prayer sometimes is like that. We can't even articulate. It's inarticulate, right? It's deep in. But that's prayer. And he wants to hear that. And we run to him. We open our lives over what matters most to the one who matters most to us. And inside that soul, all sorts of words are running around. He, the context is, this is painful realities. And he's taking these painful realities, even if they don't go up to the voice, and he, he lifts them up to him. They're groanings, they're sighs, 
They're weepings. It hurts. I can't even put it in words. That is prayer. Also, the words are audible. And we see that in the latter part of that section. Listen to my cry. Morning prayer is passionate prayer. But it's not just passionate prayer. It's urgent. Look with me at verse 3. He says, O Lord, in the morning. And then he says, in the morning. That's where we get morning prayer, right? But I want us to see something. I don't think that he's talking merely about from 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. or something, just you know, that morning, that a.m. prayer. Yeah, I suppose he is. But I think the point here is it's, it's urgent. It, it's, it's not, we'll just, we'll just put it off. We'll, we'll do it sometime soon. It's, it's first thing kind of stuff. Now, don't, please don't hear me say that you can't hit the snooze a couple times. Don't hear me say that you can't get up and use the bathroom and throw water on. Don't, don't hear me say you can't put the coffee on or let the dog out. Or, I mean, but, but, but there's this urgency. If you're like me and you're in troubled times and injustice is around you and there's things that are extremely disturbing to you, it shouldn't be like this. I'm tempted, right when I get up in the morning, to have my mind go right to it, and I try to solve things. And then I start thinking about, oh, my responsibilities, my deadlines, how am I going to prepare, what am I going to say, what am I going to do, and it's this list, and it's these words, and it's all horizontal, or I should say, it's all me-centric, and I'm just figuring things out on me. And then about an hour, two hours I'm confessing right now. It's like three hours. It's like, oh, dang, I'm not an atheist. Ah, I love the Lord my God. <laughs> He's here. Oh, Lord, I, you know, and I start praying. It's like, what's your problem, Turner? In the morning. It's passionate. It's urgent. And now we look at it. It's personal. I was going to count, right before I came in here, I thought, I'll do it really quickly, and then I started talking with someone, and then I didn't do it. You count. How many personal pronouns do you see in verses 1 through 3? Now, I'll be talking for the next 30 seconds, and all you're going to be doing is going 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. But there's a lot of them in there, isn't there? This is an I to you kind of prayer. This is my, this is my, this is I, this is you, this is very personal. Salvation, deliverance, reconciliation, redemption, all those big abstract words that we find in the Bible are not impersonal. It's not a something, it's a someone. We don't pray to a ceiling. We don't pray rote prayers because this is our ritual. We don't pray because some ethereal mist in the heavens is an energy that will do something in our lives. He is personal. And we say, my king, my God, here are my cries, and I'm speaking right to you. You see that? Notice how verse 3 ends. For to you do I pray. 
That's not inconsequential, beloved. We are talking to a person who spoke the whole universe into existence and then by every thought, he holds every molecule, this whole universe together. And he knows me. (laughs) He hears my cries. You've got to be kidding me. I'm not. Psalm 5. It is passionate prayer. It is urgent prayer. It is personal prayer. And then it's expectant. Look with me right at the end. It says, O Lord, in the morning, verse 3, you hear my voice. That's an amazing verse right there you can meditate on for a day or a week. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. How many of you, how many times have I did a passionate, urgent, personal, and then get on with life? Be expectant. If you're asking him for something, look for it. Look around. He is precise and punctual with his answers to his prayer. Your timeline is not important. His timeline is the only thing that's important. And that's the measurement of precision and punctuality. He is never late with his answers. So watch. Watch. It starts getting exciting. Like we live in a magical world. Like God actually invades. And it's supernatural because it is. Morning prayer understands that. And it gets us up in the morning. And it's passionate It's urgent. It's personal, and then it's expected. Now, we're going to shift. I need motivation for that. I need incitement. I need invigoration. Get me out of my slumber, clear my mind, and set my course for prayer. I need motivation. And then you see that lovely logic right there. For, and now he goes off into it. Verse 4, I'm just going to summarize by this. Remember that the sentence that encapsulates this 40 minutes? We must pray in the morning, knowing that all that God is, He is for me. He is for us. Knowing this, because of all this, we pray like that, right? So I'm going to summarize it by this. Verse 4 is... God is just. There's bracket one. Then you come over to verse 12. God is love. And there's the end bracket. And in between, you see all sorts of things. God is just. All that you are in your justice, in your holiness, in your transcendence, in your majesty... You are for me. I have this judicial sentiment deep in my heart. I hate injustice. And when it gets really personal, it really hurts, and I hate it even more. Another confession, huh? And I want you, O king, my king, to do something about it. The world that I want is not the world I have, so fix it. Clean it up. Help. I cry, it hurts. God is just. 
And King David is running to him because he's just. He is holy, holy, holy. Verse 4 says evil can't even dwell with him. He's, he's the blazing center of his glory. There's no darkness surrounding the sun. It's dispelled. It moves. It leaves. It evaporates. It, it's terrified and it runs. I want you to do that in my life. Right around me, I want justice. I want your holiness to, to, to expel and cast out all the injustice in my life. And you're the only one who can do it. And notice the effect that it has on him. He's not balled up in anxiety. He's not perforated with a bunch of holes of fret. He's not emboldened and saying, I'm going to be a vigilante. I hate what happened in Florida. And so I'm going to go down and pack and take care of everyone who carries a gun or something. I don't know. I'm just going to blow up this whole evil in this world. He doesn't do that. He he. He prays. He entrusts his pain and his perplexity to him who can do something about it. And he waits expectantly. He's waiting. And he's motivated to this kind of prayer because what? God is just. He is holy, holy, holy. He's in a class all by himself. You can't even approach him. He's that holy. And so then you start reading about what he's going to do to people that don't honor him and love him and trust him. You destroy those who speak lies. Yeah, God, destroy, get it out of here. I hate lies. You're not a God who delights in wickedness. Yeah, God, you've never placed your affections upon anything or anyone that's sordid. You just put it on perfect perfection, namely yourself, and it's just glorious. So I was, I was working through this passage. I was going to get ready to preach it. I was meditating. I listened to Pastor Garrison's Psalm 1 and meditate day and night and ruminate and and. and cogitate and what was another word you used just chewing the cud and just wanting all the extraction of juices out of this and it was running smoothly and that's how I was going to preach it but something very troublesome hit me I've been walking with the Lord over 35 years and something really troublesome hit me so as I'm working through this alternating oscillating kind of thing I showed you I I, I went into verse 9 and and I was I was looking at that, and, and then I just stopped writing. I stopped, and I just went, Lord, take my mind and scan the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. What in the world is going on here? And you know where my mind took me. Romans 3, the Apostle Paul actually is quoting Psalm 5. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm starting to see something there, Lord. And in Romans 3, he's building this case for universal sin and universal condemnation. He says in verse 10 of chapter 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. All have gone astray. Together they become useless. 
Their throat is an open grave. Their tongue is like a viper. It speaks lies. There is no one good, not even one. That's that passage. And now I'm starting to get troubled because I look in the mirror. I listen to my heart. I'm not the squeaky clean perfection on, on human, on, on, on soil here. I'm starting to think, how could David so run to him and have a passionate and personal prayer to the God who's just? Because now I'm starting to feel unrighteous, unjust, and God never winks at sin. He never sweeps it under a rug. He's not the senile grandpa around kids smiling, and the kids are notoriously mischievous. That's not God. He knows it all over. And now I'm getting really nervous. And that's you. Help me now. How does the justice and love of God come together? If He's just sheer, raw power and holiness, we are all in eternal trouble. How can the holiness of God be human's biggest problem and ultimate hope? How does that work? You read Romans 3 and it gets down to verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, I get it. Now where's the hope? How does David do this? Now stay with me. We're moving to the close. He says, David says in verse 3, I prepare a sacrifice for you. He says in verse 7, I enter your house. He says in verse 7, I bow down toward your holy temple. What's he, what's he talking about? David knows Leviticus way better than we do. He knows the Levitical system exquisitely well. It's built into the whole fabric of the culture of the Israelites. He knows the tabernacle I think it should be translated tabernacle instead of temple. His son, Solomon, builds the temple. But it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's God dwelling in our midst. And the only way God can dwell in our midst is to have a sacrifice and then to have Him forgive us and welcome us and have favor upon us. Sacrifice and temple. Where does your mind go? And so He knows that sacrifices were brought to the priest, a fluffy, white, pet-like lamb that would have these real big eyes and would blink as it looked into your eyes, would give it to the priest, and he would take the head and pull it back to bare the neck and take a sharp knife, and, and blood would start pouring out of it. And he would put it in a trough. And then he would take the lifeless lamb and put it on the altar and then it would consume. (laughs) Why would you have a system like that? Because sin is that awful. And sin will be punished because of the justice of God, the wrath of God, the holiness of God. Evil will not be in His presence. He knows that. And so He goes to the temple. He goes to the tabernacle. Where's your mind going now? He is so thrilled that this type 
of sacrificial system and priesthood is pointing to someone else. A thousand years later, someone comes onto the scene who is called the Lamb of God who lifts up and takes away the sins of the world. Who's that? Christ Jesus, our Lord, who went to the cross and was brutally killed, sliced and crucified, blood pouring out. Why? For you. Because of who God is, the justice of God, and now verse 12, the love of God. This is how David can say, and let all those who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And let those who are covered with your protection exult, for you have favored him, O blessed one. How does he do that? He knows that God makes provision for our sins. He knows that God is just. If he was unjust, he would be impeachable and we wouldn't have any God in the world that we could love. But verse 12 says, God is love. And so this is where the justice of God and the love of God touch and tangle right at the cross of Christ Jesus, our Lord. On that cross, he was the sacrifice. And he took the just anger of God upon him and was sliced and died and was put in the grave. And up out of the grave he arose three days later for our justification and vindication, our forever forgiveness and final favor rests, verse 12, upon those who take refuge in him. Now, if you take those two poles, justice and love of God, and see it in the sacrifice and in the temple, namely Jesus Christ, and all that he did on the cross for us, we have motivation to get up in the morning and run to him. He loves us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Rock of ages cleft for me. Oh, let me hide, take refuge in thee. Let the water and the blood from the wounded side which flow be of sin the double cure. Saved from wrath, we're in the refuge now. And make me pure. I now have full access to you. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I can speak like this and trust you in an unjust and very, very disturbing world. So back to Barbara. She actually laughed at me when she said, Dan, all I do is I'm a rocking and a praying kind of gal. (laughs) That's a 93-year-old. And I love that. And I wonder if we could just kind of rock and pray like this every single morning. Why? We must pray In the morning, we must. Must? Ought to? Have to? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Knowing that all that God is for us, He is for us. So, why morning prayer, beloved? This is why. Let's pray. Father, I... 
thank you for preserving Psalm 5 for us. I thank you for spirit-enabled understanding. I thank you for your welcome, your accessibility. We can move towards you because you are just and you are faithful. You are loving. I pray that your voice accesses every single heart and it will manifest tomorrow morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.